A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, everybody, to Roll to Cast, the tabletop RPG podcast of both actual plays and interviews. My name is Sean, and I'm joined here around the table by Ellen. Oh, hello. Good morning, everyone. And uh, following the finale of Ambrosia Island and the postseason chat that we had, we're continuing our interseason content with a very, very special guest indeed. Uh, he is an award-winning game developer, the co-writer of not only Call of Cthulhu's 7th edition, but also Warhammer 40K's Dark Heresy, and he's currently the creative director of Chaosium. Please welcome everybody, Mr. Mike Mason. Hello, Mike. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> So good to have you here. I feel like I feel like I, I should applaud. <laughs> Just, please, please. It's, steady on, steady on. Oh, okay. Get some tentacle, <laughs> right. tentacle sound effects none, slapping none together. None for you then. <laughs> Mike, how is everything on your end? I know we've kind of got ourselves at opposite ends of the time zones. You're super late at night and we're <laughs> incredibly early in yes. the morning. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I've had a, a fun day um, working on the current project I'm working on, which is, um, well, it's not actually a secret. I, I'm working on um, a, a redevelopment and, and, and new, new editions of uh, what were called the old... Um, Lovecraft country books, the uh, the books around um, H.P. Lovecraft's fictional locales, you know, Innsmouth and Arkham ah. and that. So uh, I'm just I'm just uh, in the process of um, you know redeveloping those books actually at the moment. So I've been I've been spending literally all day working out distances between real places in New England and fictional places in New England, working out well. <laughs> Way are is Arkham from Boston really? And actually trying to nail things down like that, which has been um, quite laborious. Well, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, if you if you don't, the uh, the fans of Cthulhu absolutely will. They'll be whipping out the rulers. <laughs> they and will checking. rise from the seas themselves to uh, uh, <laughs> to criticize you on Twitter. 
Um, I'm sure. (laughs) That's fantastic. Do you kind of base the locations to a kind of parallel? So, you know, with Innsmouth, I would imagine you you go, okay, it must be coastal. Do you kind of plop it over an existing town or do you kind of put it where nothing is so that you don't get confused? I I try to um, put it where nothing else is because then – you can it, then you can kind of sew it into the reality of the of the world because uh, as you know I'm sure you've heard this before when you when you're selling a lie it's good to kind of hide it in a truth mm. so um, <laughs> putting Innsmouth on the coast but still having you know places like Salem and Marblehead um, you know on the same map uh, you know gives a gives a sense of um, familiar familiarity to it because I mean technically you know Kingsport Lovecraft's coastal um kind of a uh, sleepy dreamlike uh kind of port um is actually based on marblehead uh, which is obviously a real place but but having both on the map kind of just seems to make sense rather than getting rid of marblehead and calling it King- kingsport kind of um you know does away with some of the reality right. so Try and mesh, mesh it together as much as possible. Yeah, you that's can so see, fascinating. You can see we've messed up by not having the person from England on the podcast from Baby Beard. Ah, uh, bugger um, him. <laughs> 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 it's our turn now. <laughs> and Mike, I, I know... Uh, what interests me about that is I know you've... um. So you talk about that, uh, the, the new line that you're looking at, uh, where you're um, taking a lot of inspiration from old... Um, lines. I know one thing you talked about about since being creative director is kind of marrying uh, that relationship between looking at old lines of Cthulhu and like kind of things like uh, the Express um, and masks, and uh, but marrying that with how to bring in new fans and how to uh, expand the call of Cthulhu mythos in, in new and exciting ways. Have you found that a challenging process to try and marry old with the new in terms of uh, satiating old fans, but also kind of enticing new fans into the fold? Well, it's, um, it's a, it is a balancing act and um, uh, it's not particularly hard. What's hard about it is the timing because um, there's myself and um, Lynn Hardy who were, uh, is uh, an associate editor with Call of Cthulhu and, you know, works with me on, you know, producing and editing the books. Um, and um, there's just not enough hours in the day. Uh, I mean, you know, you could say, I could just literally, myself and Lynn, we could just pump out, um, you know, new versions, new editions of old material. I mean, the game is 40 years old come Halloween this year. So that's 40 years worth of game material that we have as a back catalogue. So for quite a number of years, we could just sit back and, you know, pump out old stuff, basically. Um, But, you know, I think that would be a disservice to, you know, both the game and the fans. Um, So it's a balancing act between putting out some, you know, classic um, older material that's, that's refreshed, um, with some more detail and more kind of added value to it to make it, um, you know, bring it up to date really in terms of, you know, where we are with gaming and, and, and Call of Cthulhu particularly, um, you know, in in this year and, you know, and, and the years to come. Um, balancing that with putting out brand new material that expands the game, expands the kind of settings and, um, you know, does something different. You know, with there's... there's there's, there are plenty of, um, you know, Call of Cthulhu scenarios around, you know, a haunted house kind of concept. So we don't really need to do any new ones of those. So, you know, we'll we'll go go to the classic material, which already exists, and put those out to kind of cover our bases with that. But, we, you know, equally we're doing new stuff as well. So, um, 
So what we try and do is, uh, you know, it's roughly kind of half and half, you know, half old stuff, half new stuff. It's it's not quite as, you know, um, accurate as that. But um, we've just, um, I've just got into layout a book called Cults of Cthulhu, which is a brand new book, which has um, been written by uh, Christopher Lackey, who's one of the co-hosts of the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast and, and also myself. And that's a brand new book all about the Cthulhu cult because, um, you know, I was looking back over 40 years of material. We've never really done a book about the Cthulhu cult. I mean, his name's on the cover, the poor guy. He's never really had a book. <laughs> so, um, we, you know, I, we put that book together and that's a brand new thing and that's now in layout. Um, and now, you know, having done that, I'm now doing some old stuff and revisiting the, um, you know, the Lovecraft country stuff. But at, in the meantime, Lynn is working on a brand new book, which is called Darkness and Decorum, which is basically Cthulhu versus Jane Austen. It's kind of oh. the kind of Regency <laughs> England and, um, you know, uh, the Cthulhu mythos popping up its head in in that kind of era, which is, you know, a fairly unique and new thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we try, you know, it's a, as I said, it's a balancing act. And um, we, we just try and put out the best material we can, really. And, um, and but that does mean we have to do a lot of work with some of the old material, kind of bringing that up to date with the rules and, and also kind of the kind of style of play, really, that, you know, modern games tend to have rather than the kind of the, the old school kind of approach, which were, you know, somewhat dungeon-like, you know, not all of them, but some of them were, you know, basically lots of fights. And um, Call of Cthulhu is kind of a broader game than that. You know, it's, it's fine to have, you know, a fight in a Call of Cthulhu game as your end point. But I think we also need to ensure that there are, you know, there are groups that don't want that. And so they're, they're looking for alternative kind of conclusions. So we're often looking to expand the material and to provide a range of possible outcomes for a scenario. So, you know, groups, different groups can tackle the scenarios in different ways and not just, you know, be channeled down one kind of railroad ending, which a lot of the early scenarios, because of their limited word count, were, you know, were kind of forced to do, you see. I have two questions, Mike. First of all, is the birthday of, you know, the Call of Cthulhu line really on Halloween? Um, and that's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the second question is, we talked about marrying old and new. Um, obviously, kind of a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, horror is is horror of the unknown. And, you know, coming from a time where... Uh, there was there was little that we there was a lot that we didn't know about the world. You know, now we know how air conditioners work. Now we know about geometry and and uh, imaginary numbers and uh, Euclidean shapes. Um, how do you kind of balance kind of bringing in new fears um, with the kind of call of Cthulhu and 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 all the kind of lines that you write for, or do you think that there's something really lasting? in in Lovecraft and, and Cthulhu-esque uh, horror that, that has always remained? Or do you kind of, do you kind of like walk a line between both, bringing a little bit of new fear and old fear into this delicious bubbling stew? <laughs> well, the first question, the answer is yes. It was <gasps> born, oh. um, the first <laughs> copy, the first of the first, you know, Call of Cthulhu first edition box set, the first copies arrived in the Kazim office um, on Halloween, nineteen eighty-one. Oh my and, goodness! Uh, a, I do believe. I mean, I, I could be wrong here because I wasn't there at the time, but I do believe I have heard the story that uh, Greg Stafford, uh, who obviously you know created Chaosium and you know ran ran the company wonderfully for many years before he passed, um, 
he um I'm pretty sure there was lightning there was a lightning storm <gasps> at the time so ah. perfect oh. really the birth of this thing <laughs> but yes so yes so yeah Halloween uh, is what we uh, you know we say is the uh, is the uh, yeah, the anniversary this year. That right? is um, so. so perfect. I'm almost weeping at the thought. Do you throw it like a birthday party or do you have some kind of anniversary or bloodletting, some kind of ritual? Yeah, well, yeah, clearly there'll be sort of, you know, dancing around um, strange maypoles and things like that around the world. <laughs> Isn't that just I'm, what I'm, English I'm people need, do? I'm going to need photographic footage of that as well, please, Mike. <laughs> Maybe I hope you'll, you'll be involved. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. You'll, you'll hear the call. Uh, yeah, unfortunately ours is a... Um, I could, I was going to make a North Pole, South Pole joke there, but I don't understand enough (laughs) about geography and how the world works. Our pole is just upside down. (laughs) So the the second question. um, Okay, so uh, it's a a really interesting question. I mean, I fundamentally, we still fear the same things that, you know, people have done throughout history. And, you know, Lovecraft, you know, was on the money when he said the you know the the greatest fear is the fear of the unknown and that still is true whether it's you know walking down the, the dark street at night and not knowing what's around the corner or what that figure is at the end of the road or the footsteps behind you is the fear of the unknown and that still is a, as effective now as it was you know back in victorian times and before that mm. um so i think you know common Common fears um, are still completely valid um, because we have them, you know. And um, the difference with um, the kind of the the Cthulhu mythos, which obviously is born out of the kind of the the, the concept of cosmic horror, um, is probably more um, appropriate and apparent today than it than it probably was in Lovecraft's time uh, in the you know the early twentieth century. This the the, the the fear and effects of alienation on the individual and on communities, um, the fear of disempowerment, um, inability to change things, to feel that the world is against you. And if you add on the concept of the, the kind of cosmic horror on top of that, you know, the, the whole universe is against you. Yes. And at times <laughs> in the modern in the modern era, um, you know, um it, you know, it does feel that everything is against us sometimes. You know, we're just we're only just coming out of well, uh, yeah. <laughs> pandemic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah th- things beyond our control. What you know, five years ago, things beyond our control. Oh, no, we you know we can handle everything. Well, you know, it's clearly life has demonstrated that that's not true, and it only takes one big meteorite to come in our direction, and you know things are going to change. Um, so I think those, you know, the, the the fears are still valid. They're still appropriate, and I think even more so in today's world. In that sense, um, so I, I don't, you know, in a in a game sense, um, you know, that's the kind of the underarching kind of foundation to you know horror and fear. Mm. In a game sense, what you're looking to do is manipulate those and to express those if through the you know the design of the scenarios and the gameplay. Um, and obviously what you're trying to do is come up with creative and inspired and, and, and you know, new new 
examples of it. Obviously, as I've said, you know, there's only so many times you can run a haunted house scenario for your group before, before they go, we give up, you know, we, just, <laughs> yeah. we don't want any more. We'll um, become the ghosts. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, which is completely fair. And uh, so it's, you know, one of the things, you know, when we're doing new material is looking looking for something a little different, something, uh, you know, expressed, expressed in, a, in a new way or a new idea. So, um, you know, maybe it's using a, an old you know, an old hat monster, as it were, but but doing it in a new and strange way that will make it unusual and, you know, potentially, you know, scary for the players because they won't expect it to or they won't understand what's happening in that way. So it's, it's all about trying to be creative with the material in that sense. Was that um, sort of line of thinking uh, in terms of finding new ways uh, to excite new ways to bring Cthulhu into the public space, how Pulp Cthulhu came about? Or what actually was the inspiration behind bringing that supplement? Because I know you had a big hand in bringing Pulp Cthulhu to the fore and I was interested by the inspiration and kind of the process of how that book came about. Pulp Cthulhu is is a is a um well it's got a real tale behind it in a sense because it's a book that was um something like 10 years or more in the making uh, originally um the idea the, the actual idea for Hulk Cthulhu came from a colleague of mine who still works at Curzium and he he worked he was working with Curzium back then in the day it's a guy called Dustin Wright who is uh, works behind the scenes he's our distribution warehousing customer service he wears many hats and uh you know, keeps the wheels rolling internally in terms of making sure product, you know, arrives on shelves and in people's, through people's doors and all that kind of thing. Um, so he's kind of a real kind of essential uh, person in the team. And obviously he's, he's been with Kersim a very long time. He's in fact the oldest serving member of Kersim. And um, he actually came up with the idea. I think, I, I think literally he'd been to watch Indiana Jones and came out and went... <laughs> That. <laughs> well, you say kind of good, wouldn't it? As you describe him, it kind of sounds like he is underground somewhere with like all these strange. It almost sounds like a Lovecraftian. He's an, job. He's an outer god. <laughs> yeah, like he's got like yeah, all these gears it, yeah. and mechanics, and like I don't know. It, it makes the coffee warm, and the and the the sheets pile up on the on the desk just like they're meant to. But you're like, oh, we. We never know where they come from. They just do. <laughs> Justin is uh, is a wonderful guy. Does uh, does many many things. But uh, but yeah, no, he had the idea, and um, um, like many games companies in the early days, you know, they start thinking about a book, and they they'd actually they'd mention it publicly and say, you know, even put it in the back of a book, saying, "Oh, coming soon, Pulp Cthulhu," and. Um, and then 10 years passed and it still hadn't come out. <laughs> um, some work had been done on it back in the day. Um, and then um, uh, what happened was the the Kickstarter for uh, the seventh edition of the game, uh, one of the stretch goals was, um, hey, why don't we do that Pulp Cthulhu book? We'll get around to doing it. <laughs> and I was like, well, that'd be great. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Thinking that, you know, there's a book, there's a manuscript on a hard drive somewhere that's just, you know, been gathering dust and I'll just need to kind of, you know, give it a brush up and, uh, you know, be ready to go. So it got funded and uh, and then, um, you know, came to me to kind of put it together. So I, I managed to dig out what files I could on the game and, and um, there, there wasn't a lot. <laughs> there, was, there, was, uh, there was a There was a scenario... And um, there was a, a little bit of material on um, one of the um, investigator organisations that ended up in the final book, the uh, the Vanguard Club. Ah, yeah. And they were all they were all they were all they were all kind of pretty much all done and written. And there was a kind of a, a bit of a 
half-hearted stab at doing some rules. But the but literally, the, <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe this. As I read it, my mouth dropped because literally the rules were: Hey, um, you know, if 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 you want to do, you know, the players want to do something kind of, you know, action pulpy, and um, well, just let them. And that was kind of. The oh, that, that would be a fantastic did I, book. Did I write that? Because yeah. that sounds exactly like the TTRPG that I would write. Hey, you want to hey, do this? Do it. What's the rule? Wouldn't it be cool yeah. if this? Yeah. <laughs> It's quite, you know, it's a good, it's a good foundation in terms of the scope of where to work on, but it doesn't really give you anything to play with. So, I had to kind of, um, well, I, I, I had to kind of design the rules from from scratch, really. So, so the whole book, you know, I literally had one organisation and one scenario. That was what I had. So, the rest of the book, I had to, you know, find a way to kind of put together and write. So, I bought, you know, I brought in some uh, some colleagues. Paul Fricker helped develop some of the rules with me. Um, and we brought in some other people to help, you know, fill out some new scenarios and some other material, and um, and the book was, you know, the book came to life. But um, it was very much a, a case of finding a, a, a making it work alongside the seventh edition rulebook. So um, it needed to uh, its rules needed to layer in, in you know, in a in a fairly seamless way. Um, but also, you know. I, I very quickly kind of determined that, you know, if you ask anyone what is pulp, um, everyone will give you a different answer. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, try, you know, calling a book, you know, Pulp Cthulhu and saying this is pulp is kind of asking for trouble. So hence why in the, in the uh, kind of the material, I kind of said, look, there are three levels of pulp and you can dial your game to whatever level you think pulp is for you mm. and your group. The pulp of me. So there's kind of, <laughs> the pulp of me, exactly. So you have, you have a kind of like a, as I say, the kind of low level is Call of Cthulhu Plus with slightly slightly tougher characters. You can do a little bit uh, to this to the high, the high pulp where they've got, you know, these talents that give them kind of these edges and special abilities and, and, uh, and so on. And... Um, you know, but it, but the whole concept was to try and make it a very, um, a very much like a toolkit that you would take from it what you needed for your game to make it work and run in the way that you wanted to run it, and that mm. that's really the, the heart and soul of what Pulp was about, really. I, I know that you said it's a it's a flawed question, but what is Pulp Cthulhu to you? Like, uh, you know, you said uh, you want to dial it appropriately to how you kind of want to play. If you are playing Pulp Cthulhu, or I guess with making the kind of the high the the pulpiest setting, as it were, um, you would be envisaging envisaging. Oh my god, envisaging. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that style of play. So, so for you, when you would sit down to like if you were to sit down to a uh, run or play a game of pulp Cthulhu, what's that? What's that level of pulp what's that the you're Mason, sitting What's at? the Mason pulp? Yeah, <laughs> the Mason level of pulp is super high. Yes. <laughs> if you're going to play pulp, then then go for it. So oh God. when I'm a, when I'm a player, it's like you know that you know the you you know in pulp you have the ability to spend luck points on rolls and yeah change things and all that kind of thing. I just blow my luck as quickly as possible because I will. <laughs> I will just blow it and go like, yeah, I want to do that, and then yeah, I want to machine gun the octopus, and yeah, yeah, do that, and uh, and uh, you know, I want to dive on the chandelier and you know, fly across the room and jump on top of the shoggoth and wrestle it, and because to me, that's 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 a very kind of different game to Call of Cthulhu in a sense. I, I'm, yeah. I want to play to the pulp aspect, so yeah. Um, 
And when I'm running it, um, you know, I, I, I really try to encourage the players to really, you know, let their hair down with it. And, um, you know, I, I try to reward, you know, that kind of um, two-fisted kind of action, pacey kind of game style. Uh, if players are, if players are coming up with crazy ideas that are really unfeasible, I will go, yeah, yeah, let's, let's give it a try. You know, give it you can certainly try. <laughs> so uh, no, I, I'm on the. You know, I think um, you know, I, I like, I enjoy that kind of thing, oh, um, and it makes and it makes running Call of Cthulhu and playing Call of Cthulhu the you know the the classic game, um, you know, a different experience. So that's you know slower, darker, a bit grimmer kind of thing, uh, a little bit more. You know, um, you know, we're not going to win. I mean, the first time I played. <laughs> I play tested um, uh, a scenario written by somebody else, and they were running it. And I was playing in the game to play test it. Uh, I remember, you know, towards the end, I, I, you know, I kind of in the back of my mind knew knew who this kind of villainous NPC was. I thought I did, but I, you know, I thought, well, heck, I'm going to do it. So um, I thought the the villain was um, Neil Athertep, this outer god in human form. And so I decided to punch him in the face, and um, <laughs> and I did in fact punch Neil Athertep. And um, then he then he ate me. I think I think that's pretty much how it happened. But you know that's that's um, you know that's what it's about. What a way to go! I, I thought you were going to say, and it turns out I just punched a guy. Um, I, I think what's uh, fascinating about that to me is be, uh, is how that uh, you made Cthulhu access- accessible to me because. We take turns um, being the GM and the keeper as part of our podcast each season. When it came time for mine, I originally picked up the tome that is Call of Cthulhu, and I was I was fascinated by it because I had I had had it, and I had a friend that absolutely adores the system, but I never got a chance to play it. And I was wondering, well, what's my in? Because I didn't feel that that kind of style was my forte. And then someone mentioned Pulp Cthulhu to me, and that just opened up a, a whole avenue of uh, possibilities as, as someone who grew up with Indiana Jones and uh, we are the house of Brendan Fraser, so we all love the mummy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so, and, and you talk about the, the level of Pulp. This is a, a season that gave us a, a New York Italian mobster, <laughs> an Irish muscly priest, Please. a Norwegian. Engineering inventor and a uh, French, French bon vivant actor, um, and then about a billion NPCs on my end. So I, th- I think it, it's great because you've kind of you've you've opened up a door for people to really just go absolutely balls to the walls nuts. And I think that's such a good in to Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that was that was part of my kind of um, I guess design concept was to say that look, I, I you know, I you know. I'm a game. I've been playing games for many years. I play all sorts of games, and and you know there are some games that I love. Some games I'm happy to play, and some games that just have, leave me cold. They just do nothing for me. And I'm, I'm aware there are people, you know, yeah, strange as it may be, who don't get Call of Cthulhu. That you know, it's not the game for them, and that's that's absolutely fine and cool. There are plenty of the games they can play. However, um, if you can dial the aspects of Call of Cthulhu. You know, to make it a slightly different game experience, a slightly different style of play, and Pulp seems to be the you know seem to be the most appropriate way to do that. Hmm. Then, then obviously, you you as you say, you're giving people an opportunity to experience the kind of the fun of Call of Cthulhu, but in a slightly you know a slightly different version of it. And um, and uh, you know, there are people that love Pulp Cthulhu, but you know, they're not really. 
they're not really happy to run straight Call of Cthulhu and vice versa. You know, people, some people are, you know, purists and, and love playing straight Call of Cthulhu and Pulp's not for them. And it's just another option. It's just another potential way to, you know, people can enjoy the material that we put out. Because obviously with Pulp Cthulhu, the, as I always say, the beauty of it is you can apply it to anything we put out. You know, mm. even if it's a, a scenario or a campaign for... Um, for you know, straight call of Cthulhu, you can pulp it up if you wish. You know, it's uh, it works both ways in that way. So it's just about trying to be flexible and versatile. I think mm, it's it's certainly a, a great way of um, re-examining horror from a, a different perspective. Because I know we in our campaign we had a a very uh, tense scene <laughs> where two of our characters were were uh, getting the villain monologue. Um, but they just didn't care, <laughs> and and then they had to kind of go one two with a. It was it a ghast, Sean? A ghast, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, um, uh, Mike, there was a there was a <laughs> portion of the season where uh, Sean, the keeper, was finding himself a little bit frustrated that his straight <laughs> his straight villain was being overrun by these two uh, bombastic players and they didn't care about his his uh, his monologue so I was flipping through the book going okay what creature can I throw at you that's not gonna obli- ah aghast um <laughs> That was a lot of fun. But it's it, and we've just come from playing, uh, we've played both Cyberpunk 2020 and Cyberpunk Red, and and we were talking about the difference between them. And and, um, overwhelmingly, what we found is that Cyberpunk Red is is just a bit more empowering. um, Whereas 2020, you kind of want to play a game where you're under the boot of some corporation. and, And it is a bit Cthulhu esque in that. You yeah. you know there's probably not going to be a happy ending. Your your the impact that you're going to make is is probably going to be very small and possibly overwritten by a big corporation. But you just got to give it a go anyway. Whereas red, it's kind of more you you can actually probably start to make some pathways and and make some uh, influences in this world. And and for me, certainly, I felt like Pulp Cthulhu was a was a way of kind of going, oh, what's this? Cosmic horror? Pah, I've got stuff to do. <laughs> so it felt like a very, and especially in a time of a lot of unease and uncertainty, it, it was a very um, empowering and, and fun way to kind of laugh in the in the in the madness of it all <laughs> yeah no i think i think you know what you just said is is spot on i think you know the analogy with uh cyber you know the, the different versions of cyberpunk is very valid in comparing you know call of cthulhu with pulp cthulhu it's very similar you know pulp uh, sorry call of cthulhu you know you you may win the day but it will be a probably a pyrrhic victory or, mm. or minor and then you'll be horribly scarred forever by it probably Whereas Pulp Cthulhu, as you say, with Cyberpunk Red, it, it, it does give the players more agency. It does give them more ability to kind of narrate the story in the direction they want to take it, simply because they can they can affect the roles in a much more uh, proactive way with with luck, um, uh, with um, you know avoiding you know avoiding death or going out in a blaze of glory. All these kind of mechanics that kind of are aimed to kind of give the player control over how their character, you know, how their character story goes, whether, you know, it continues or or even if it ends, but they can control the ending as well by, um, you know, by the mechanics and in, in, in the options that they have. They can, you know, they can, they can have an impact. Their death can have a meaning, not just the kind of the, uh, the cold, gritty 
you know, deadness of a standard game where, you know, oh, you're dead, that's it, goodbye, <laughs> move on. So, um, so yeah, so that, 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 that was kind of ingrained in it. And, and yeah, that very much about that kind of player agency, giving players the option to, uh, as I say, kind of gear the story towards the story they want to tell is as how I always often think about it. You, you talk about things being ingrained. And, and so I'm interested to talk about how uh, not only Call of Cthulhu, but storytelling and tabletops in general have become ingrained in you. I know you talk about a story where you, you, you rock up to a party in the, in the, in the 80s where your, you, what you thought was a party ended up being just a friend and, and a couple of uh, siblings and you play D&D for the first time and that was your... which is, I love that in and, and, this in was, and of itself. And this was the hard stuff, this right? This was like D&D. D&D. First edition. Um, <laughs> this, this, this is like, yeah, this is, uh, well, in fact, I have vague memories of it now, but I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, to oh, be honest. Oh, no. Like, I, mean, I, I mean, all I remember is there was some really cool skeleton miniatures on these cardboard oh. floor plans, and um, and there was these, you know, there was a wizard miniature and a fighter and a cleric and all that. I, I, I'm not, I think I played a fighter, I think. Um, and I, it was... It was mind blowing. I, I mean, I, I just came away going, I don't know what that was, but it was brilliant, and I really, <laughs> and I really loved the miniatures. Where can I get them? Oh, and, wow. um, and it just left. It just had all these questions left with all these questions. They were all, you know, really positive. Like, that was great. What, what, what is that? You know, was it the mystery of of what tabletop is that kind of enticed you into it? And if that's the case, what made you stay for so long? Because you've got a career that's spanned spanned several decades now. What is what has been kind of the aspects of tabletopping uh, in general that has that has uh, drawn you towards it, and, and what kind of fuels your passion for it continually over time? I, I guess um, there's two things. Um, First of all, the kind of the academic in me would say it's the story. I love, you know, I love stories. I, I, I love particularly horror stories. I've been, mm-hmm. I've been reading horror stories and watching horror films since a very, very early age. And so it kind of, it completely, you know, this was the game for me because it clicked. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but role playing in general, it was that kind of, you know, telling these stories and, 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 and these stories without an end, these stories that kind of were about your characters and, and the fun of kind of, you know, wandering into this room full of skeletons and then like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And, <laughs> and then turns them and, you know, it it, um, it was just fun. Um, and um, the other aspect, which I think as I uh, grow older, I, 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 I sort of see it more and realise more about it, is is actually it's about this... Um, um, the social aspect of role playing. There's there's not not many activities, you know, that that humans can do um, that that actually you know means that you know you meet up with a group of friends, possibly every week or what you know whatever variation of how you meet up. But you meet regularly. You you get together. You socialize and you focus on some shared you know, uh, entertainment, basically, um, in a very, you know, um, interactive way. There's, I mean, you know, other than going down the pub regularly and meeting your <laughs> mates down the pub, um, there's not really many other activities unless, you, you know, you're engaging in a sport or something like that, perhaps. But but other than that, there's not a lot else. And, and, and this is, a, you know, I, I love the social aspect of role-playing. I love, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, obviously meeting in person around the table is wonderful, but even, you know, in the last year or so, just getting online and being able to kind of, 
chat with people and game with people, you know, on Hangouts or whatever, has been, a you know, a, a godsend, really, not only for me, but for, you know, many of the people who have been, you know, without the uh, ability to kind of get out and, and socialise, it's been a it's been a fantastic you know the game forces you to meet is what I'm saying mm-hmm. and it and it makes it forces the socialization it forces this kind of community um in a good way you know I use the word force but it's not probably the right word but um but it you know it gives you a reason to get together on a regular basis with a group of people and um and when you then apply that to the greater kind of role-playing community, gaming community, and you take the step of maybe going to game conventions, you realize... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's many people who are just like you, and, you, and I've made so many friends through role-playing, through going to conventions um, over the years, who have become, you know, solid, you know, best friends of mine, you know, and um, none of that would have happened unless, you know, if I hadn't played that game back in, you know, back in the early 80s. (laughs) Fantastic. You never, but you never had a a chance, did you, to not? Because, like, that's, like, that's the hard stuff. That's uh, that's not a gateway TTRPG. That's uh, that's a, that's that's a, a hard portal. Dr- that's, that's a hard drug. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 kind of sidestepping a little bit. I mean, we're talking about the obviously the strengths of of TTRPGs and and what they can do. Obviously, the the social factor is a, is a wonderful one. Um, I I work in in theatre, and so quite often when I'm when I'm writing a piece or when I'm writing a specific genre. Um, one of the kind of uh, rebuttal questions is why theatre? Why this medium for this genre? And um, you being such a big fan of horror, why why um, does horror suit TTRPGs so well? Because it it really does. Like you know, we've um, uh, you know, there's there's horror elements in our Pulp Cthulhu game. We've just done Kids on Bikes, which is an also, also, I guess, bleeding over because there's cosmic horror in there too. Yeah. Um, and sure. and and we we played Vampire the Masquerade as well, which is this beautiful, tense, um, paranoia kind of uh, pervading the whole the whole game. But what do you think that uh, TTRPG does for horror so well and will continue to over movies, over video games, over any other kind of medium? Uh, because it's not passive. It's uh, when you go to, when you're reading a book or you're watching a movie, um, you know, you, you can get a chill, you know, you can get a jump scare in a movie or it can leave you, you know, pondering and slightly uneased and, and or disgusted. Um, and similarly with a, you know, with a fiction book, it can, you know, it can, 
provoke you in some way. But it's very, it's a passive experience, whereas role-playing, it's an interactive experience. And so um, particularly with horror, um, you get to kind of tell a story, but it has um, but it has a kind of a potential to have a, 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 an impact, you know, in, in a good way. And, and it's it, the, the role-play kind of aspects of horror allows you to play with themes and concepts that you wouldn't really do anywhere else. It's a safe environment and it's... Um, you know, and I'm not. You know, I mean, there are some groups that will, you know, want to explore quite, you know, dark and grim subjects in their, you know, the privacy of their own gaming group, mm. and that's cool. Um, equally, there are people that, you know, don't want to be that dark and grim, but they want to, they want to kind of have a, a the kind of the fun scare, the kind of the the um, the enjoyment, the mystery. They want to mm. get into the mystery. And, and kind of then then have that moment where the where the where the penny drops and and the realization of what they're up against hits them and it's like oh you know oh my god no you know and um and then they've got to deal with it you know it's um it's it's you know it can be quite an enjoyable experience but it, you know it does come back you know to what I said earlier about you know there are just you know there are people that love horror you know and enjoy it and have and and. Uh, and find it a fun experience like you know like myself and equally there are people that don't like it at all and they want to you know they want to play you know a more kind of fantasy type game or or a hard science fiction or something like that and that you know that's cool as well um but i think horror um it allows you to it allows you to you know play play with things you know and and, and having you know play against interesting characters villainous characters that that uh that you want to love to hate on and that kind of thing, you know? So uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's all those kind of things in a way. Well, one thing that also interests me about that is uh, looking at your, or your career and what you've dabbled into. Um, I say dabbled, it's decades worth of a career. Um, <laughs> obviously you've been freelancing with Cthulhu for the better part of uh, two decades or so. And, and you've hustled and you've, you've made content for fans and, and, and then freelance for Chaosium before 2013 when you started jumping with them full time. I know previously, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up, uh, Chris, our, our other baby bearder is an avid fan of Dark Heresy. Um, and I know obviously you, you worked as the line manager for for Black Industries, and so you're one of the co-writers. <laughs> and and that that's another world that's so incredibly dark and yet so bombastic and so over-the-top in a lot of aspects. Uh, what was it that drew you to that property, and, and, and what was it like working with the first edition of Dark Heresy? Because, again, this is a game where you have... Uh, a plethora of crit tables that where there's tables for each body part and then different <laughs> types of uh, uh, impacts that will do something to that body part. It's quite prolific. <laughs> and I'm just intrigued about that process as well. Yeah, I mean, the reason I, I um, worked on Black Ind- work on Dark Heresy and Black Industries, um, I already worked at GW. I already worked at Games Workshop. I worked on the sales side for some time. Uh, I, I actually originally joined, uh, sorry, joined Games Workshop to uh to be their event manager because uh, my background is in kind of uh, well my real my long background i you know i did a drama degree so I, my background's theater but, oh well uh, you're you're one better than us because uh we have advanced diplomas yes. in acting so <laughs> so obviously I, I could then get no work acting or directing you know <laughs> theater clearly Oof. and uh so i i, I uh use my um you know, uh, talents to uh, to move into kind of promotions and events. So I worked in events and promotions quite a long time in in kind of business. And um, just by chance, I saw an advert 
for Games Workshop wanting an events manager, which was like, well, I kind of know about gaming. I know about Games Workshop. I've been playing their games since they started. And I also know about running events. So maybe I could do this job. So I applied for that job. And, and long story short, I got it. And so I worked running um, Games Workshop's games days and uh, and all that kind of stuff for a few years. Um, and at this time... Um, Games Workshop had decided to kind of get back into board games and role playing with Talisman and Dark Heresy, and um, so I, I just internally joined the playtesting of the Dark Heresy game, and um, I, I, I saw a first draft of some of the material, and uh, I wasn't, I didn't think it was hitting the nail on the head, and um, I knew the 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 manager of the Black Library, which which was uh, kind of the home of Black Industries. And I, I kind of made my made my thoughts known on why I didn't think the game was going in the right direction. Um, from behind the scenes, I kind of helped to, I guess, in a, I helped to kind of redirect where the game was going. Um, and um, around that time, funnily enough, they decided they needed a uh, a manager for the Black Industries, and uh, so I applied, and uh, I got the job. Um, you know, so. Um, uh, and then I then I had three months to put the game out. The game was the game was more or less written by uh, by uh, colleagues who had started the project, and um, but it wasn't finished. And uh, so I had three months to kind of finish the book and uh, get it all together. So I mean that's that's how it all happened. And um, oh my goodness! But I mean I, the whole thing about Warmer Forty Thousand, well, as with any well anything with Warhammer from Games Workshop. It's based on a very kind of um, at the heart of it is English humour. It's based, you know, it's like what's the darkest, most awful thing you know that could be, <laughs> and how do we how, how do we make that funny? How do we, you know, how do we, <laughs> you know, how do we make that so over the top that nobody could really think that we believe this? You know, it's kind of you know, and and so dark heresy and and one with thousand, you know, it's a grim. You know, dark future. There's always war. There's you know all this going on. It is tongue in cheek. I mean, if you look carefully in Dark Heresy, in the first edition, there are there are jokes. There are you know there's one of the uh, the, the jokes. I don't. Yeah, I mean, the trouble is, I I know what they are because they're English jokes. So <laughs> if I say to you, if I say to you, one of the characters in their equipment list, they have four candles. So that's funny to me because <laughs> two got. In the 1970s, the two runners did a sketch all about this bloke going into a hardware shop for four candles. Right. And, and, <laughs> and so the shop thief, shop thief, I think, shopkeeper thinks he wants four candles. And no, he doesn't want four candles. He wants fork handles. Ah. You know, they things are going. And there's a whole sketch built on the kind of, you know, this wordplay. Phil's right. so, screaming at us right what, now. Well, what we should do is we should edit out you explaining that and then just cut to us going, ah. Laughing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a passage about psychers that's got, you know, strange, bold women. Um, I can't remember that to quote now, but basically it's, it's a, you know, it's the a witches? little Easter egg. The June, June, you know, it's the Benny oh, Jesuit. The, yes, yes. So there's lots of little in-jokes in, in throughout, you know, these kind of, you know, the, a lot of the uh, warmer and warmer 40K products. And um, so Dark Heresy was an extension. I mean, of course, the problem with Dark Heresy was, um, you know, while we all know what a space marine does, you know, they go out and shoot things. Yep. And all the other alien races, all they do is what they do is they go out and they shoot each other. That's what they do. <laughs> but Dark Heresy isn't a game about that. It's a game about, you know, what happens 
behind the war? You know, what's happening on the home worlds? What's mm. happening on these production planets? And, of course, none of that really has ever been described other than <laughs> some fiction, you know, um, some of the Black Library fiction kind of talked about some of these aspects. Um, but nobody actually put it into a book, really. And so we were having to kind of come up, well, what... Yeah, what, what what does the average person who's not in the war mm. in a war do in in the forty k universe? You know, is what is there bars? Is there spaceports? <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, and trying to work it out. Yeah, you know, what what's a forty k version of a spaceport look like? <laughs> you know? As and, an um, as an Aussie, there will always be bars and pubs. There they must be. We, we, will, we will find them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was that was that was fun to work on, but. Uh, but a fairly desperate kind of three months to get it out, and then uh, and then get the other stuff that followed. But uh, so it was it was a fun experience, and certainly I I, I learned a great deal. Doing yeah, that, see, but. Sean, it's it's not so hard for us struggling actors and and, and uh, to get into dr- event management. People. Yes, we just go into promotions. We make some really insightful comments. We have a deep understanding of uh, how games work. We make some great insightful comments, and then bingo, bango. You're the creative director for Chaos. We're set. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm very curious because obviously we all have uh, dramatic backgrounds. Um, now that I'm a bit more into my career, I, I studied as an actor, and now I'm kind of um, uh, becoming a bit of a playwright. Uh, but I find that quite often I write a bit ass backwards as a result of it. I kind of I'm much more interested in 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 depth character um, stuff, um, kind of long, long uh, character building scenes as opposed to kind of overall plot. Do you find that your your experience with with um, uh, studying drama has kind of influenced uh, what you like to write or how you kind of go about writing? Are you kind of character for, first and foremost or or do you like the settings and the worlds and the, the genres? I have, I have to be honest and say it, it is probably character driven. It tends to be... It it tends to be either a dramatic event, you know, something happens that that sparks the rest of the scenario, you know, like you know, a meteorite lands, you know, example mm. or whatever. Um, that and the characters for me are what are the heart of the scenarios. All the dressing, all the all the other stuff is kind of secondary to me in that sense, because because to me, um, if you haven't got really interesting characters and you haven't got you know a dynamic uh, event and series of events that that, that that drive the that drive the game, that drive the players to interact and motivate them to kind of get involved. Then, then you know, it, it's it's pretty hard to do it if you haven't got those things. So for me, that that very much drives it. And the other side to this is is what is really where I started. Is I guess my kind of drama experience is, is what in, has informed me as a as a you know a GM over the years. Mm. Um, and that kind of sense of you know trying to create drama in the game. So if you create drama, then players can react to it and you know invest in the game. Um, and so um, I'm also aware of things like trying to shut up and let other people talk. You know, like when you're doing improv, yes, yeah. like, you, you need to shut up and listen sometimes. <laughs> so, as a keeper, that's that's equally true. As a GM, that's equally true. You need to you know, be quiet sometimes and let your players do the talking. Mm. Um, so uh, I'm, con- you know, I'm conscious, or, you know, particularly with, with the online play, I'm conscious. I will often say, right, I'm going to shut up now because I've been talking. <laughs> and I've 
talking far too much. You lot talk now kind of thing. Ah, yes. The two rules of improv. Yes and, and shut Shut up. up. (laughs) Yes and shut up. Perfect. (laughs) And that's that's interesting as well when we look at um, some of the other things that uh, you've done with Chaosium and what Chaosium has delved into in general, which is uh, the Alone Against the Flames, which is uh, an aspect. And and it's interesting because we talk about how it can be hard, not even just in, in COVID times, but just in general, it can be hard as you're growing up and even in adulthood, finding people to play with. Mm. And some people don't have that luxury. And so Alone Against the Flames allows for a one-person role-playing experience. Was there, uh, what has been your experience in kind of developing uh, that and have you and, and finding the necessity for uh, gaming by ourselves and, and normalizing that as well being able to you know have a game with yourself and and that is that is something that is completely valid and important as well yeah i mean i, I you know I'd, I'd love to kind of um say it was all my idea but it wasn't i mean the <laughs> originally originally back in the day back in the um i don't know i guess mid 80s i guess mid to late 80s Kersen put out uh, a number of kind of solo adventures they did um they did yes. two or three for cthulhu and uh three certainly for RuneQuest. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, I bought them, I played them, I enjoyed them, you know, and while I was still playing, you know, with my, you know, group from school and all that kind of thing. Um, and over the years, I mean, obviously, I've, you know, I've been playing Cthulhu for a long time. And so um, I've been interacting with the the community a long time, you know, whether it's through conventions and back in the day, online, you know, online news groups and then forums and then things like Discord and all that kind of thing. So I've, I've kind of, you know, been dipping in and out all these for many years. So, and part of that has been, you know, a, a, an interest in the game and an interest in what people say that how they interact with the game. And, I'm, you know, I'm conscious, I've been conscious for a long time um, that there are, there are plenty of people that buy Call of Cthulhu books who never play the game, but they enjoy reading them as, a, a, you know, as, a, as part of, and they, their, their enjoyment comes from that. And so um, I think the solo plays, I was really keen to bring them back. And um, and actually it was a conversation with the, the, the guy who wrote Alone Against Flames, Gavin Inglis, who he is, he kind of suggested, you know, I could, I could write a solo and, you know, and we could maybe gear it to, you know, to try and introduce the game, you know, introduce the rules for the game. I thought that was a brilliant idea. So I just said, yes, let's do that. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and, and that kind of because in the back of my head at the, at the time when we did that originally we released it as a standalone thing but i knew at some point i wanted to do a starter set for people that had either you know never played call of cthulhu or never role played before and i'm putting a solo in the box as the kind of the first thing you literally kind of do when you open that box was to me the kind of the the real gold dust because um you know, you, you buy a box game, particularly a role-playing game, you take it home and you open it up and you read the book and you realise, oh, oh no, I, <laughs> I can't do anything. I need, I, I need to find three or four friends. I, I need I, friends. I, I, I need friends. And they're not here now. And, and it's a kind of like, a, you know, an initial barrier that you kind of leave, oh, I wanted to do I, I thought we could play this tonight and I can't, oh, no. um, So having that solo, that means, you know, you can get home, you can actually play the game. You can play it on your own and you can get a real sense for it and get a sense for that. Yeah, did I enjoy it? Great, I want to do more. I didn't really enjoy that. I'll have a look at it, but I'm not mm. sure it's my thing. Um, but um, it really get, you know, gives you a chance to get a taste for what the game is about. And so um, that was the kind of, you know, my motivation behind it. And then, yeah, subsequently we've done, you know, Alone Against the Dark, Alone Against the Tide, and um, and we've also put out Alone Against the Frost, 
um, because um, they're great introductions to the game, and 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 they're and they're perfect for when you know you're you know either you haven't got a game, you know you're between gaming groups, or you haven't got a gaming group yet, and you know you want to experience the game and have a bit of fun, and that's a great way to do it. Or it's just you know maybe tonight the gaming group couldn't meet, or you're ill in bed and you want to do something and you're bored, and and it, you know. That just makes the game accessible. And one of the things I've been trying to do is, you know, whilst servicing uh, and ensuring that, you know, your, your standard role player, your role playing groups have got material and adventures and campaigns to, you know, to get into and have fun with, um, trying to make the game as widely accessible as possible. So, you know, the solo plays are one part of that putting out adventures that only require, you know, one GM and one player, you know, with with a book like Does Love Forgive, um, looking at doing um, shorter play scenarios. So it's not just, you know, because not everyone's got four hours or multiple mm. sessions of four hours to available, you know, uh, with, you know, what with real life and everything. Um, so, for, you know, putting out scenarios that only take an hour or two hours to play means you can get a full game in, you know, uh, on an evening with, with relatively little to no prep. Um, so all these kind of combinations of different kind of variations on how you can play the game, um, I think is important to, you know, you know, to make it as accessible as possible. And hopefully there's a version of format of the game that, that suits you this week. It may be not... It may be something different next week. It may be that you've got a you've got a, a bunch of friends next week and you can run a full game or something or whatever. But but this week you're on your own. So solo plays are, are what you're gonna do. Hmm. So it's really, yeah, trying to trying to make things as flexible and um as um you know, engaging as as I can, I, I guess. It's a good appetizer <laughs> for what is to come. That's <laughs> a way to look at it. Yeah, as we kind of are uh, winding down slowly here, there are two things I wanted to touch on. Uh, first of all, just as a quick question, because uh, we're talking about friends. Um, uh, uh, are you our friend now? I, <laughs> I thought I, that's where you were going to go. <laughs> I, uh, I remember listening to an interview uh, uh that you did a couple of years ago and you mentioned how, oh, after this interview, I'm I'm heading over to uh, actually play a game with my old gaming group from the 80s. And I want to know, are you still playing with them? Oh. Your oldest group? Uh, well, technically, yes and no. Not not at the moment. Oh, no. we, haven't, <laughs> we, we, we haven't actually played um, for, well, it's over 12 months. And partly that's down to, you know, the COVID thing. Mm. But actually, it all started because of Brexit. Oh, no. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Because one of the one of the people in the group, um, a good friend of mine, who who I've been playing Call of Cthulhu with since I started playing Call of Cthulhu with. I um, mean, he, he used to be the GM, and that, and it's kind of like Jedi. Now I'm the GM. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but he um, he he's a civil servant, and um, for his sins, he. Uh, he works in uh, works in London on he, he was working on London on Brexit, you know, in all the preparation and stuff. So oh, he just turned around and look, I I I'm just I'm just up to here with all this Brexit stuff. I, I just can't do it. I, I, I need I need you know, I can't I, can we have a break? And I said, Yeah, fine. You know, Brexit kind of finally happened after, you know, many years. Mm. And um and then obviously COVID hit. And so, even if we wanted to get back, got to get back, it was you know it became a bit in, 
impossible. But, you know, uh, in fact, uh, he messaged the other day to say, yeah, we, you know, maybe in the summer we could, uh, <laughs> we could do something again. So, I mean, yes, I mean, you know, that'll, that group will always be there and, and go Aww. keep going in various fashion, I guess. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was yeah. so sweet. That's so sweet. I'd love it if, I'd, I don't know if, you know, you all have progeny, but it's like if you passed down those titles from that game, it's almost like Pendragon or something. And you all have, our children shall yeah, play. Yeah, and then they inherit yeah, your, they, they all, your they characters. All now, I've, got, I've got two uh, two sons. They're both kind of adults now. One's at university and one, you know, one's uh, working. But um, they both, I mean, they both role play. They're both gamers in that sense. And, um, my my eldest is now you know running games for his friends down where he lives, and uh, um, my um, my other son who lives in London. I've got I've got some nephews also live in London. They all get together every once in a while, and one of them runs Cthulhu or something, and they and so they, 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 it has corrupted them all. Are time, you time. are you harsher on them as as keepers? Or- <laughs> I murder them constantly. <laughs> as a result, yeah, that's the. Uh, the special secret words and books to them, so they now know them. So oh, uh, there we go. That's um, the perks. <laughs> and 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 the second thing is, I also wanted to open the floor to, uh, to you, Mike. If there is anything, if you want to talk to the listeners directly, that is uh, upcoming or, or anything you'd like to kind of spotlight um, that you want people to be aware of, whether that's uh, for things you're doing personally or things that Chaosium is working on. Sure. Uh, I mean, well. I think you know. I already mentioned up front. We, you know, the the Cults of Cthulhu book is uh, coming out in the uh, in a few months' time, as well as the Darkness and Decorum book. The other book we've got coming out is A Time to Harvest, which is a a 1920s campaign set around uh, New England and Lovecraft Country around Arkham, and um, and that's a very kind of tight campaign. Whereas a lot of the other Campaigns like masks and so on are kind of world-spanning. This is this takes place in just in you know in the uh, in the New England area, so it's much more kind of uh, confined and uh, probably a little easier for a, a, a more novice, uh, newer keeper to run in that sense. So uh, that's coming out, and and the main thing I guess I'd, I'd want to point people to is is Halloween and say it is the um, you know the 40th anniversary of the game in Halloween, and we're going to be you know doing a few things, and we've got a couple of um, uh, kind of special anniversary kind of things coming out around that time, but more importantly than just saying, "Yeah, with well, some cool, there's some anniversary stuff," so I go and buy it. Um, <laughs> what 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 I'm trying to encourage is people just to, um, you know, either on Halloween or around that time, you know, make sure you play a game of Call of Cthulhu. Mm. You know, just get you know, get together. Uh, if you're a if you're a, a long term D D group, you know, take a break for a night and. Run a, you know, run the haunted house or or whatever or, or um, and if you're a, you know you're a Call of Cthulhu um, keeper, then maybe you know get a few people together that never played before. You know, just introduce introduce the the craziness to them as well. Uh, but just generally try and get a you know try and get everyone playing the game around Halloween would be a lot of fun and um, you know uh, and share it on you know share it on social media. You know, tell us about your game, take a photo, and just kind of get into the um, kind of a, a general celebration really because um you know it's a fairly um it's a fairly big milestone really for a role-playing game it's not, there's uh there's obviously a few older than call of cthulhu but not many and um so um and especially as call of cthulhu was the first horror role-playing game um you know it's um you know those horror de- devotees you know it's a time to uh 
you know, celebrate. So uh, yeah, that's my kind of message is, you know, make sure you're playing Call of Cthulhu on Halloween as well as trick and treating or whatever else you do. But also go and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, b- before you go, can I ask you one question, Mike? Yeah. What scares you most? Oh, <laughs> oh well. Uh, uh, Australians. <laughs> That's your Australia. right to fear us. <laughs> We're horrible. Very-eyed Australians in the morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what well, I have a, um, I have a. It's not like a fully full phobia, but it is a, it is a. I, I, I think it is a, a phobia of a sort. I, I hate. I cannot abide slugs i don't mind snails snails are fine but slugs are like the spawn of satan i, I cannot <laughs> see a, a reason for their existence and they just send me give me the willies completely i just can't be doing with slugs they they, they freak me out so oh. um there's that's, a that's that. yeah obviously you know strangely strangely slender men walking around and, and in shadows and all that will scare me too but yeah. you know in the real world slugs Slugs uh, freak me out. But so deep in you your know. heart, the horror of slugs is, is Slug firmly rooted. The squelchiness, the slime is always oh, horrible. Just even thinking about it. Oh. That's a, that's a future it. Cthulhu campaign. Yeah. <laughs> I know where all those adjectives come from now in the, in the Cthulhu In the back books. of the Cthulhu book, it's just yeah. describing slugs. <laughs> I just think about slugs and then <laughs> I think I think you know uh, Mike Mason being squeamish and and put out maybe where we end this podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. First and foremost, thank you so much, Mike, for for joining us and uh, giving up your Friday night to mm. uh, uh, speak with us. Uh, what did you call it? Bleary-eyed Australians. Yeah. We, we very much appreciate you giving your time. Absolute pleasure and uh, and much fun talking to you both. So thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, pleasure is all ours. And um, until until next week, where uh, we can we have we have talked about it informally but we can formally oh. state that uh, now that we have uh, we have uh, got uh, uh, Cthulhu and the many outer gods uh, uh, just directly behind us subdued for now <laughs> um, we are heading forth onto a season of Kids on Bikes which will be GM'd by the very own Ellen Graham hello as I um, formally uh, present to you with my top hat and bow tie even though it's 1970s in Western Australia so <laughs> Top hat, bow tie, and uh, board shorts, as it as it were. Uh, you can join us in uh, season five of Rollercast Kids on Bikes, a mystery down under. <laughs> um, That's awesome, count me in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you're in the campaign now, yeah. Mike. Ellen furiously writes notes. <laughs> um, and until until next week when we begin uh, that particular adventure. I have been Sean. I've been Ellen. And Mike, thank you once again for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. (laughs) You have been listening to Ambrosia Island, which is a Roll to Cast production. The best way to find us is on Twitter, Discord, and our Patreon. All our podcasts are on Acast, Spotify, YouTube, and all good podcatchers. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash roll to cast. Pop Cthulhu and all associated properties are trademark of Chaosium Inc. Used with permission. Ooh. 
Ooh, you're still here. In that case, we have to reward you. So uh, just sit back, relax, and enjoy a, a small little teaser, a taste, an excerpt, if you will, of our upcoming Kids on Bikes season. Take it away, us. Oh, uh, Eric will say, oh, hey, Jessica, as he <laughs> takes his ice cream away from his mouth. Hey, you look great. Oh. Do you want some ice cream? Uh, is it going? Yeah, yeah, it's my shout, yeah. Oh, it's Australia totally. Day. Surfing oh, competition. No wonder yeah. you're a town saviour. I think like you, as yeah. as um as he was trailing a little bit behind because <laughs> yeah. the, the reason that they are so late is that Dickie, like a golden retriever, just has to stop at every like, you know, cool looking bush and grabbing and stones. Yeah. And so like <laughs> Constantine's like just gripping things. It's like, come on, we're gonna be late to the beach. And so eventually he'd been like kind of trying to regale her with different stories because he just has to talk. So mm. even though he was far behind, he was in mid story. So just like, yeah. And you know, the like the Hawkesbury River monster makes me think about it. Like it's like 35 <laughs> feet long. It's about black and gray skin. But the thing is, it's like it's around Hawkesbury, but the thing is, right, is that the indigenous people, they knew all of about this monster. They, they warned everyone to not go in the river. But there's this one fisherman, he was in the Dickie. river. And then from underneath, Dickie. he got burst right in the air and it went 10 Dickie. feet. Went, can I tell you something? What? Shut up. Oh. Do you want an ice cream, mate? He thinks for a moment. Mosh out. Anything you want on it. He's like, uh, he's got his lips. Like, okay, he's shutting up. So I see the whole walk here, you decide to talk my ear off. But now that a nice person is going to offer you an ice cream, Oh my gosh, he's gonna pass out. <sighs> Look, um, yeah, give hey, him. Hey, Dickie. Is it okay, really, Jono? It's really... fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Oh my gosh, Jessica. no wonder you're like the town hero. She's like kind of curling her hair a little bit. <laughs> just, just trying to be nice. Just trying to be nice. Just saving <gasps> kids from the oh. surf. Yeah. Um, D- could Dickie get a soft serve with uh lots of sherbet? Dickie, yeah, man. Yeah, and a flake. It... Oh, okay. <laughs> Steve, what 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 he said, mate? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 